welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I'm your host, Heather McFadden, and this is the place where I get to walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources so you know that you don't mom alone. And in this episode, number 450, I'm welcoming to the show registered dietitian, Casey Barnes. Every mom and dad, you're always doing a better job than you think you are with their food. We are always our toughest critic. And so like, please give yourself some credit because I know that you work really hard to feed your kids and it's not an easy job. Casey Barnes is, like I said, a registered dietitian and a mom. And she runs a very, very popular Instagram account called Mama Knows Nutrition. What I appreciate is she is all about helping you feed your kids without the side of mom guilt. She gives you information, but also gives you permission to cut corners in certain places. And I promise if you follow her Instagram account or go to her website, Mama Knows Nutrition, you're going to feel empowered. She gives you great ideas. In this episode, she's answering your specific questions like what different macronutrients do I need to serve my kids? How do I get them to eat it? Is what I heard on the internet true? This is a super helpful conversation. I've never had one like it before on the podcast, so I'm happy to bring it to you. Let's get right to it. Here we go. Casey, welcome to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I am pumped to be here. I mean, okay, it's been a minute since I've had toddlers. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's been a minute since I've had to process the whole, what do I feed my kids? Because mine are all like feeding themselves. But I know this is such a hot topic Mm -hmm. and a triggering one when we talk about food in our kids. And (laughs) O-M-O. Oh my O. When I ask people for questions. Like a lot of thoughts. So before we start answering the questions, I would love for you to take a second and just let people know where where you learned about the things we're about to talk about and why you're into this. Totally. It's so hard. So I am a mom of two. They're now nine and six, but I have a master of clinical nutrition degree. I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist. And I went to school for this stuff. But the reason that I focused on kids was that as soon as I had a toddler, I thought, oh, my goodness, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. And from that second, I knew it was going to be my mission to help other parents, especially because like the Internet is a gift in some ways, but it is a scary place to try to get information because you could find somebody saying six different things about the same topic and how do you know what's right? So I've always sought to be that rational, trustworthy source of information for people where not everything is going to be fully backed by research and science, but some things are. And I like to be that voice of reason for people. When it comes to kids, There's few things we can actually control, but we believe we can control. (laughs) (laughs) The the food thing, the sleep thing, they become battlegrounds. Mm -hmm. And I've done lots of episodes on discipline. I've done lots of episodes on moms. Let's talk about what messages are we believing are true about our role in this parenting thing. So much of that and even our own story with food gets meshed in 
with my toddler won't eat, or we're going to talk about this, selective eaters. Then we get into the teen years. We get into real uh, disorder. You know, it is now there are disordered eating related to selective eating. And then you have eating, eating disorders, which, Mm -hmm. you know, our generation, I felt like really delved into. And now I think it's, it doesn't go away. Right. Yeah. So then we bring fear into our feeding stories with our kids. And we're like, there's so much emotion. Yes. Around this topic that I just wanted to like, I kind of want to like, I don't know, pop a balloon or (laughs) Take, you know, just kind of take some air out of the room a little bit of like, okay, everyone take a deep breath. We're going to talk about food. You're going to hold in your head your own personal story. Totally. And neither Casey or I know it right now. So we're going to give everybody grace in the room. And we're going to talk about some basics. And like you said, there's so much information and everybody's got different opinions and everyone's going to find some article. But we just love to know because... As moms, we want to do what's right. And when some news story comes out that like, no, don't feed your kids that. You can ruin them if you do this. We all flip out and we're like, no, because we want to do what's right. It's scary. Yeah. So can you help us in general? I know there were a lot of questions people asked about what do my kids need to eat? What's the standard of what is quote unquote healthy eating? Can we just start there? You know? Of course. Yeah. So what I always remind people is what we do most of the time is the most important thing. There is no perfection when it comes to feeding your kids, not even as a mom who's a dietitian. It's it's not possible and it's not necessary. Pretty much every study that we have on people's long-term wellness and health, it all looks at dietary patterns, not the specific ingredients. So that means our biggest focus can just be on those overarching ideas of what are the food groups that my kids need to eat most days. Not every single day because like you said, we can't control them. And oh man, how I wish my child could be a robot that just ate everything I gave them. So what I would say is think about building their plate with some protein, with a fruit and or vegetable, and a good starch. Kids are growing and carbs are their really preferred source of fuel for their body when they're in that growth phase. So it's not something we have to shy away from at all. We want to have all three macronutrients present, meaning protein, carbohydrate, and fat. None of those need to be limited. And then really just emphasizing the fruit and vegetable, but vegetables don't even have to make it in there because fruits have the same vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, fiber, all those benefits are in fruit and so many kids prefer it. So you're not doing a bad job if they don't eat vegetables. And then really I like to focus on the structure of their day of three meals and about two snacks. And then like knowing that kids usually will balance out their nutrient intake over time versus in one meal. So even though we're offering the protein and the veggie and the potato or whatever, they're not always going to eat all those things and that's okay. That's good. I I saw one question someone asked, 
parents are thinking about blood sugar regulation. With kids, when you said the three meals and the two snacks, I can imagine like if you have a child who processes more quickly, that you might need to add in a third snack. You know what I mean? It's like how much time between meals passes or how much energy is expended is going to impact. And can we talk about growth spurts? Yeah. And like over the season of a child's life, like how do we know if they're maybe in a lull or like they're not eating? I don't know. This. Yeah, yeah. How can we be attuned to our kids instead of like, no, they have to X, Y, and Z, you know? Right. So the only person who knows how much they need every single day is their body. So Mm. from an early age, we can instill in them that skill of regulating and listening to their body's cues of hunger and fullness. And really one of the best ways that we can do this is by following something called the division of responsibility in feeding. This has been around for a while. Ellen Satter is an amazing person who who developed this. And so what it says is that our job as a parent is to decide what is served and when. Okay, so we decide what we're making and when. So when is that kind of schedule throughout the day? And then the child's job is if they eat and how much. And if you think about feeding a baby, we pretty much start this right away. They know when they're done, they're going to push away from the breast or the bottle, whatever it is, and they're going to let you know when they're hungry too. It obviously gets more complicated once they're a toddler with a voice and wishes and desires, but there are days where it seems like they survive on air. And so our job is to keep providing those regular meals. And I like to always include something called a safe food. And this is good for both families with the most selective eaters and also families where their kids are a little more easygoing around food, but making sure you have something that they regularly eat and like available at each meal and snack time so that you're not left wondering like, oh, were they just not hungry or did they not like it? We don't want to get into that cycle of having to offer three different things trying to get them to eat when maybe they're just not that hungry right now. That's really good. Where were you when my kids were little? (laughs) But I think what I heard too was that you are – doing what's in your hoop, which yes. is the the what. And I'm hearing you say like the different groups, the major macronutrient groups. There were a lot of questions on sugar. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's talk about. Yeah. So one, I'll just kind of read it because I felt like it was very relatable. She said they don't restrict, but they also don't allow free-for-alls. They use neutral language, but their child is still obsessed. Yeah. Every child (laughs) is born with, well, here's the one thing. All kids prefer sweet flavors. We have very well-established research on this, and breast milk is sweet. So Mm. we know that they are hardwired to prefer sweet and avoid bitter. And this usually perpetuates until about when they stop growing, really. So most of their childhood where we notice this preference for sweet. Some kids are going to be more motivated by food in general, but also by sweet flavors. And so when you notice that your kid has that preference, some part of that is accepting that they have that and not completely fighting it. So if we try to cut out sugar altogether, that's not necessarily going to solve our problem. It's not 
going to solve our problem. So when you have a kid who's really interested in it, there's a couple things that you should do, in my opinion. Number one is to make sure that they are getting enough to eat overall. Because a lot of times, if kids are more selective eaters and they're really wanting those sweet foods, it's because they know it's a place where they can get calories and really get their body what it needs. It's quick energy. So it's kind of a, a way of their body knowing how to meet those needs. Another thing to think about is, are you making sure they're getting enough protein and fat? Because those are really kind of grounding and help satiate and satisfy more than things that are just carbohydrate alone. So making sure that you find like some kids don't like meat at all. And so then it's going to be a little bit harder to incorporate those things, but really trying to pick out what are the protein foods that I know that they like and will eat so that I can pair that with these things. And then also making sure that you don't have a culture of restriction in your home because a lot of us grew up that way. And a lot of us, frankly, still live that way because that's what diet culture taught us to do is these are bad for you. They're going to make you gain weight and you need to avoid them. And so if, if we start trying to restrict, or I mean, there's a bajillion studies that will show us that restricting often does the opposite of what we intend it to. So you might not be knowingly doing it, but maybe, you know, I remember one client where she was telling me how her son was so obsessed with sweets. And then she was like, well, yeah, like I'll give him for dessert. I'll split an ice cream bar between the four of us. And I'm like, well, that's, that's tough to, <laughs> to only get a quarter of an ice cream uh, sandwich each time. So just really evaluating that and seeing, okay, maybe I need to allow a little bit more than I'm comfortable with, but then maybe that dampens down their excessive drive toward it. Do you know how happy it makes me feel when a sponsor fits so perfectly with an episode. Uh, we're talking about food. We're talking about getting more protein in and Caraway Cookware has helped me do that. The other night I made Marry Me Chicken. Marry Me. Have you seen that going around the Instagram and in the interwebs? Uh, it's delicious and it uses one pan. And so it's a, I'm a big fan of that, you know, only cleaning one pan. And I also appreciate, given our conversation today, that you can sneak in like sun-dried tomatoes and pesto. I use the half-baked harvest recipe, if y'all haven't tried that. Marry me chicken. Anyway, what I love is with Caraway, I don't have the guilt. We're talking about guilt-free here uh, with our cooking, with our feeding of our kids. I don't have the guilt that I might be exposing my kids to chemicals that are in my pan. Because with Caraway, their products are made without any toxic materials. I'm going to say all the letters. No PFAS, no PTFE, no PFOA. I didn't even know these were things. These were chemicals, but they can be in your cookware. I also appreciate that with Caraway, it's really easy to clean and cook with because it has this slick surface. So I don't have to use a ton of butter unless I want to. Uh, you can make slide off the pan eggs and it's super easy to clean. I also personally love the beautiful color that I chose, the kind of like a pink... I don't know. It's not terracotta, but it's this really pretty 
pink color that I love. Uh, and it's well loved. There are over 65,000 people who've given them five stars. So if you want to try it for yourself, visit carawayhome.com forward slash DMA. For a limited time, they are offering you 10% off your next purchase. Maybe you can say, hey, significant other, I might like some new cookware for Valentine's Day. Anyway, this deal is exclusive for our listeners. So visit Caraway Home. It's spelled C-A-R-A-Way, W-A-Y, home.com forward slash DMA. Use that code DMA at checkout to get 10% off your purchase. Caraway, non-toxic cookware made modern. Okay, two questions. Yes. One, what are some proteins that you found kids really like that are an easy way to add those in to be grounding? Chicken nuggets. <laughs> chicken nuggets. Okay, so you're a big fan of chicken nuggets. And is it like – I'm also – my second question was I'm thinking what we bring in the home is what they can eat, right? And yeah. this little kid season, it's not like my kids who can literally just go drive yes. to Whataburger and eat whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Like in this season, you do have the what under your control. And so you could choose a version of a chicken nugget. You could choose a version of an ice cream sandwich. You could choose like – you don't have to buy the Cheetos. Now I'm in the season right. where I'm buying the Cheetos. It's fine. Whatever, people. <laughs> Live your lives while you are in this small kid season. I just – I like I – I mean, well, go back to chicken nuggets. What are your favorite chicken nuggets? I usually get like the Applegate ones, but really it just kind of depends what your kid likes. Like I have worked to – branch my kids out to like eating the homemade ones that I make that are actually, you know, just chicken. But honestly, chicken nuggets, when you get them at the store, a lot of times they're not as bad as people may think that they are, especially like if Like as it's, far as ingredients? Yeah. Um, and nutrition. Like if you look for ones that maybe are a little bit lower in sodium and lower in fat, and it's kind of easy to spot them because those brands just look a little bit healthier. But at the same time, like that's just one thing that a lot of kids really like and that's okay. You think about the texture of a chicken nugget and it's pretty easy to chew and it's uniform and it's delicious and it's the same every time. But other than that, there's so many products now like the um, chickpea pastas for one and there's even chickpea pizza crusts and these things are tasting very similar to the regular thing. So I do, I mean, I show these things all the time on my Instagram, but I do focus on buying those types of products more often that I know are going to have a little bit more of a protein boost because my kids aren't naturally drawn toward those things. They're drawn toward the carbs that I serve. And you said like the balance of the things on the plate. Is there a number? Like, are we talking this many grams of protein is a good option? And I know over the course of a child's life, it's going to change, but. That's a great question. Protein is always very, a very big question for people. And people almost always think their kid's not getting enough and they almost always are getting Mm -hmm. enough. What my bigger concern is, like I said, kind of balancing it throughout the day to make sure that they are getting some at each meal. But if you look at a child's weight in pounds and divide it by two, so say you have a 50-pound kid, we divide it by two, that's 25. That's the total number of grams that they need in protein in a day. 
That's just an estimate, obviously, but that will kind of give you a sense. And if you look at a cup of milk, for example, that's eight grams of protein right there. So if they had two cups of milk a day, they're already like two thirds of the way to their protein needs. So it really is pretty easy. In in this country, we rarely ever see a child who is deficient in protein. Super interesting. Yeah. But the balancing it out across the day mm-hmm. will help with the sugar regulation. Like I think when I've been in seasons where I'm restricting my sugar to try mm-hmm. to be healthier, quote unquote, I find that like if I'm around it all of a sudden, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to have it. Like there's this internal like pull. And yeah. so I can imagine if a child isn't grounded in their protein or they're like, I don't know, their sugar has dropped that they're just going to be Because sugar, like you said, is this quick energy boost, and then it's a crash. Totally. And then it's a drive to get some more. Right. I mean, the other thing to think about, too, is sleep, like making sure that they're getting enough sleep. Because even I'm sure everybody who has gone through any period of sleep deprivation, aka having kids, you crave sugar a lot more. And that's just kind of a brain chemistry thing. It's nothing wrong with you or your kid. So there's so many things that play into it, but sugar tastes good. So we really can't blame them <laughs> for liking it. And your tongue has the different, like, what is it? Sour, sweet. It's mm-hmm. organized. I'm curious, where is sweet on your tongue? Is that the know. tip? I don't know. <laughs> I feel like, because I studied swallowing for speech pathology, that even that is oriented, like, to help with the swallow for kids to kind of, I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, too, when you look at medications, they do all this research on formulating taste so that kids will take medicine, and it's always sweetness that works. Isn't that Mary Poppins? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Helps the medicine go down. It does. Um, Okay. So we're not going to be restrictive. Talk about this, like this balance, because it does feel hard. It feels like, yes, I want you to be able to eat whatever. But I, I remember growing up with my kids, um, in-laws of having different opinions on kids eating between meals or eating what they wanted. And our view of like, they can manage it, that piece. But you're saying I manage the what and the when. So Yes, but not in an overly controlling way. We want to think about having boundaries around food the same way we have boundaries, hopefully, around other things in our parenting, too. It's not bad. It's like love with limits. So they, as children, they don't know what's best for them. You can apply that across the board. And we, as their parents, it's really our job to decide what is best for them and and enforce that. So is it best to let my child have free range to the pantry all day long and just grab whatever they want? No, because I know they're not going to make good nutritional choices. They're never going to be super hungry, so they're not going to eat their meals because they just know I'm going to get a snack later on. So we're putting those things in place to really help them. It's also best for our bodies to have a rest and digest period. So having about two or three hours between eating opportunities, it's not going to happen all the time. It's not about being strict. If you can tell your child is really hungry and breakfast was only 45 minutes ago, 
give the kid an apple. Like, it's okay. You don't have to be like, oh, no, it's not snack time yet, so can't do that. So it's not about being strict. And then I feel like holidays and parties, I kind of apply a different set of rules to those times because food is part of our culture's way of celebrating. It's meant to be enjoyed. And so if my, you know, it's Christmas and my son wants a slice of apple pie and pumpkin pie and ice cream with it and he wants to try all those things, I am going to let him do that. And so what I should have mentioned before about the sweets is something that can help is thinking about the quantity and the frequency. And what I really like, the way I like to approach it is that I serve treats with meals. And a lot of people are like, whoa, no, 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 no. You got to earn your dessert. Like, what are you talking about with their meal? But it really helps take it off that pedestal and reduce that mindset of restricting of like, nope, you've got to eat this first and then you can have dessert. Well, why? Like, really, it's not the end of the world if they have a scoop of ice cream or a cookie with their meal and then they go on to eat the rest of their meal and they're not fighting with you. You're not caught in that power struggle. And so but with like holidays, it's okay to allow opportunities of unrestricted access to treats. It's really how they learn to self-regulate. So if we give them that opportunity and then help them reflect like, oh man, you have a bellyache after eating that entire bag of gummy worms. (laughs) Maybe Maybe next time we won't do that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I would think like when you're talking about, we we said the number of grams of protein and the Mm -hmm. variety, this is a we're presenting this information to the moms for them to hold in their head. This is not something we're going to like communicate to the kids. Like, no, no you need more carbs. You need more star. Like that only makes, I would think more focus totally on food and can perpetuate a possible future obsession with eating. Or yes. Whatever. I really counting. Yeah. like that you're mentioning that because yes, when they are young children, it's all for us. I just add another job to the list for mom, but <laughs> it's part of your mental load. You're welcome. No, my hope is that it like reduces the mental load, that it'll be like, yeah. here's a filter. I can filter out all of this junk that everyone's telling me and I can settle down and I can be like, okay, I'm, I'm holding this and I've done my job and check it off the list and move on. That's what yes. I'm hoping. Totally. I think that division of responsibility can be so freeing to say, we sit down to the meal, I made the meal, and now my job is done. Whether they eat it or not, I don't have to be negotiating for them to eat another bite. Not my job. I grew up in a home where you 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 had to clean the plate before you left. My husband did not grow up in that home, so we did his way, and I think it worked. Like, I'm very thankful. I mean, it was early conversations where I'm like, no, we have to make them eat. And then you have to deal with, and I saw you did this Instagram, parents or friends or you're, you're with extended family and they're like, you're not going to make them eat. Mm-hmm. If you don't eat, you're not going to get as tall as your brothers, husband said in my home. Yeah. We want to try as much as possible to avoid that kind of language, and it's a lot easier when it's within your own home and you make that decision with your partner or whoever is in your home to say, okay, we're not going to talk about this kind of thing because I cannot tell you how many adults still remember 
every single one of those comments that was said to them, and that has affected their relationship with food and their body for a long time. It's scary. It's sad. And, you know, I've had to have conversations with my own mother about, like, do not talk about feeling fat in front of my kids. I'm sorry, but that's that conversation is off limits, and it's okay to put up those boundaries. I mean, that gets out of my area of expertise because that's more like what my therapist yeah. taught me. But yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. 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 But I think it it does help what you're saying. This division of labor is that what you call that? Division, division of responsibility. responsibility. Yeah, is that it even doesn't give opportunity for the hurtful comments. Right. Because you're not trying to use words to manipulate a child to eat. Yes. Yes. That's and, what happens. And I totally am with your husband on the not having to clean your plate. Because, again, we want them to listen to those fullness cues and not be conditioned to eat however much food is in front of them, regardless of how their body feels. Support for today's episode is also brought to you by Doc Atot. Okay, moms, if you're expecting a newborn or maybe you're looking for the perfect gift, I have it for you. Doc Atot is a lifestyle brand that's made for modern parents. I'm telling you, if I'd had these products when my boys were small, my house would have looked so much cuter than all the like primary color options that I had available. They have adorable sleeping essentials, they have nursing pillows. This brand grows with your family through every stage and they launch a new product every year. They've done it again. This year, they've released the Docatot Mini Mat. Okay, you know I'm a speech pathologist. As a speech pathologist, I specialized in zero to three childhood development. And I'm telling you, this is not to guilt you, but it really matters that your kid gets some like time by themselves to like regulate and also tummy time is important. And with Dogatot's mini mat, they will have their first little playground that is designed not only to stimulate that development with this place to play, but it's really pretty. It has this quilted base that has little edges, like raised edges on the side so they can you can practice their little head lifts. It also is ultra soft, standard 100 cotton fabric, so you can wash the whole thing. It's also, I appreciated its simplicity, like it's not over the top, uh, overstimulating for kids and it's perfect for up to six months. I also like that you can take it with you. So if you're going to go visit a friend's house, maybe you have older kids and you're on the go, you can take this mini mat with you. And so I think you should go check it out because they're going to give y'all 15% off the mini mat if you use the code DMA at docatot.com. So for the mamas, for the gift givers, this is the best brand you can buy for your precious kid and the mom you love most. So for a limited time, like I said, get 15% off the new mini mat at docatot.com with the code DMA. That's 15% off the mini mat with the code DMA at docatot. Okay, it's spelled D-O-C-K-A-T-O-T.com. Parenting's hard, but docatot makes it easier. Um, okay, so let's talk about selective eaters, though. What if you present it, and you present it, and you present it, and they're just not eating? And at what point, and I'm kind of making light of it, but I know it can become worrisome when they start falling off the growth charts. 
I know I have my personal bias as far as like having worked with kids with sensory issues or like actual swallowing disorders and they're the, some food combinations, they can choke, they can't manage the bolus of a liquid and a solid together. So I know from my side, like if they're not swallowing safely, they're not going to eat the food and they're choosing not to eat it sometimes out of safety when they're real little. Yes. So I go that way. But I know there's also, there are kids who just have preferences mm-hmm. and then, the, you know, and they're somewhere in the middle. Right. So all, almost all kids go through this stage called food neophobia when they are toddlers. And that's, that's kind of this. fun word. Yeah. Fear of um, new foods. And it's kind of like they get amnesia because even stuff that they gobbled up as babies all of a sudden, when they turn around too, they're like, I have never seen this before in my life. And you're like, I promise you loved this. <laughs> I still, unfortunately, have this conversation with my son who's nine. I say, when you were a baby, you loved eggs. You would love them, but but still no. So um, they all kind of go through this developmental stage. And some kids are affected much more than others. We know that there's a big genetic component to picky eating, selective eating. So it's really not your fault. And there is nothing that makes me more upset than seeing these posts online where people claim that it is your fault if you have a picky eater, that you should have done something different. And it is so not true. Not true, it's moms. Not Don't true. Believe it. Yeah. So I know how upsetting and frustrating it can be when you keep serving foods and they keep rejecting them. And when you notice that their list of safe foods, so those foods that they regularly eat and like, if that's getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, it is a good idea to reach out for help. There is never anything wrong with, one, talking to your pediatrician, or two, getting evaluation an evaluation with a feeding therapist who can first see if there are any physical things going on that might be causing them to not eat, but then also just- Or um, allergies even. Exactly. So many different things that could be going on. So even just to have the peace of mind that those things aren't, that's always a a good thing to do as a parent. Because it might not be an allergy that lands you in an emergency hospital situation. It could be an inflammation that they feel in their body and they just don't feel right. Right. There are different expressions of allergies and there's different kind like e- EOE or FPIs. There's all these different what? allergies. <laughs> EOE is so hard to pronounce. It's like eosinophilic, eosinophilic esophagitis. I'm probably not even saying it right. Like an irritation of your as Esophagus. it's going down your throat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a lot of things that could be going on. So that's why, yeah, like if you in your mom heart feel like something is wrong, ask. Yeah. You feel better. Like go with your gut instead of Instagram. Go with your <laughs> gut and and just figure it out like if something's going on. Because even one person was like how to deal with ARFID and that was the first time I'd ever seen that. Avoidant Arfid. Restricted Food Intake Disorder. Correct. Is this a new diagnosis or this has been around and I just didn't know about this? It's newer and okay. it's a very severe form of food restriction where really they they might start falling off their growth curve. Um, they're hungry 
but they just really can't eat. So that's an extreme version of it. So it it is hard because there's such a spectrum of things mm-hmm. where you might have a kid who's it's typical toddler behavior. It's frustrating as all get out when they like something one day and not the next, but that's kind of toddler behavior. But when it's like they're cutting out food groups, they're rejecting all these foods that they previously liked, not just for one day, but every day. They have a meltdown when you offer something new. Those are all signs that it's something more than just the regular toddler Eh, I'm being a, to- a toddler. Having their go-to foods is okay is what I heard you say at one point, this safe food. Yes. So Don't take it away thinking, I'll take it away so that they try the new thing. Exactly. They are more Parent. likely, yes. We The main thing when you have a selective eater is making sure they're comfortable at the meal, that it's a no-pressure situation. So if they have something that they recognize and they like, they are more likely to go ahead and eat something else on the plate. Are they always going to? No, I can't promise you that. But rather than a lot of times people will withhold like, okay, I'm not going to serve the fruit because I know they're just going to have that. I rather you serve the fruit with the other things. And then I like to serve, if it's a new food, I like to call it a a teeny tiny taste. And really like the size of a grain of rice is where your mind should go when you're serving something new to a kid who is not very open to a new food. Teeny tiny taste. Yes. Just like the back of a spoon, like a lick Mm -hmm. of a a semi-solid. Okay. So one person asked, if they have been a selective eater, will they grow out of it? Or is this – and you kind of mentioned some things changing as they're done growing. So, Yes. So with selective eating, usually age two to five is when we see the worst of it. However, if you have a kid who's on the more extreme side of things, you often are not going to see them – just easily grow out of it. Some kids, especially kids who have any sort of sensory stuff going on, or they're a highly sensitive kid, they're just never going to be the most adventurous with food, but that's okay. What we see in the research too is that even kids who are selective eater, not on the extreme side of things, but you know, kind of have their preferences, don't really like to branch out, a lot of times we see that they are still getting what they need nutritionally to grow and thrive. So that mm. should hopefully put some worries at bay of just knowing like, okay, maybe they don't, they're not going to go out to the new restaurant and try something new, but I can be assured that they can still get what their body needs. So go, piggybacking off of that, a lot of people had questions on vitamins or supplements. Yes. You get that question a lot. And then like a sub question was about gummies. If they're bad for your dental health, should you do a gummy? So what's your answer? Yes. Okay. Vitamins are a hugely profitable industry and almost everything that you see advertised about them is almost always wrong. <laughs> like okay. It's one of those Because I've been told like my kids will be different. Okay. They're going to not fight me. They're going to do all of their chores. That's what the ad said. Yeah. I know. Mm -hmm. I know. So as a dietitian, it really, really gets me going. The problem with a lot of multivitamins is that they have the nutrients that are the easiest to get. So if we look at some of those vitamins, like 
your kid can get a full serving of vitamin C in a serving of strawberries. So it's like a lot of times they're now just going to pee out whatever it is because it's extra. So what I would suggest to parents, I mean, the best thing to do would be if you're concerned about their nutrition variety and whether they're getting enough would be to have an appointment with a dietitian who can look at what foods they're eating and see where those gaps are. Because the things that we often see kids are low in, like fiber, like vitamin D, iron, a lot of these things are not what they're going to get in that standard multivitamin. Hmm. Is a multivitamin harmful? No, absolutely not. And I always tell parents, if that's going to give you peace of mind, sure, go ahead and do it. For kids who really don't eat meat, I do like something like um, there's this brand called Renzo's Picky Eater Multivitamin. And I like that one because it does have some iron in it, but not enough where it's like, oh my God, they're getting too much iron. So, because uh, then they can get constipated and all sorts of other fun stuff. Oh. So mm-hmm. I, I like that one. Um, I would, usually my recommendation, if nothing else, is look at vitamin D. Most people don't get enough vitamin D because it's almost impossible to get in your diet unless you live somewhere like Texas, where we can kind of be outside all year round. Um, And even here, it can be tough because you put on sunscreen, all the things. Genetically, like mine's terrible. I have to take liquid vitamin D. There you go. I got to hit it hard. (laughs) Um, And that's super helpful. Yeah. The gummies. So I think if you're going to do a gummy, some kids, that's all they'll do. And I fully get that. There are ones that don't have sugar added in them. So I would say look for those instead of the ones that have sugar in them. And then there were people who asked questions about their teens who are super active, but maybe on the lower weight scale and want to gain weight. So I know for boys, that tends to be a thing. Like my boys have really high metabolisms and they're exercising as part of school sports, like our protein, like what's the best way to help bulk up? I know this is not a normal question, but a couple yeah. people asked this. So no, that, it. it's good to address because I think people always instinctively go to like protein powder when actually a protein is the most satiating of the three macronutrients. So that means it's going to keep you the fullest, the longest, but it's lower calories per gram than fat. So fat is really where we would want to go if they're having trouble getting enough in the day is go to the peanut butter, go to the whole milk, add nuts and seeds to things if they will eat it. And um, that is an easier way to get them because, yeah, protein is great for building muscle. We need it. But if we're going higher on the protein, they're going to be fuller and not get enough overall. Yeah, that's really interesting. Okay. And then someone said, is fast food one to two times a week going to hurt my child's immune system? It really goes in the context of what they're eating the rest of the time. Like so you said, the majority is what matters. Like Exactly. Exactly. If they're like, I would say immune system wise, seeing if you can get the servings of fruit and veggies that they need every day is the best thing that you can do. Okay. And then back to the fruit and veggies, 
What's the best snack for a kid who loves fruits and vegetables but wants a pantry snack? I know you've got this. Mm, yes. So I would say pairing it alongside if you can. So like having a handful of berries with the the goldfish crackers. So we don't have to get rid of those altogether. But there are some really great alternatives. Like I really love the brand uh, Simple Mills. They even have kind of like a goldfish impersonator that I think is still really good. But finding some of those alternative brands that I when I look for pantry snacks, I look for protein and fiber. And I want to see at least for a young kid, at least two grams of protein and two grams of fiber in something so that I know it's not just crunchy air because then they're going to be hungry again 30 minutes later. Second. Yeah. Literally like remember those little baby ones that melted in your mouth? I remember being so hungry and I was like, the only thing I have are these wafers. And I was like, what is this? It's disgusting. I didn't know if this question was saying like a fruit leather. Like I'm picturing like a fruit leather, like something that is a fruit or a veggie in a pantry snack. Or like, well, that exists. What are those air puff green? The, oh, those um, pea crisps? Yes, something like that. Kids love those. Those are really a good alternative to. Sodium? Are they too high in sodium? I don't really worry about that too much. Um, I more, like I said, look for that protein and fiber. And so like the – I think it's called Harvest Snap, something like that, the pea Mm -hmm. crisps. Those are going to be more filling than like a veggie straw, which is basically like a potato chip. But I also really like like dried fruit. You can get unsweetened dried fruit. My kids are obsessed with dried mango. We go through the Costco size bag like – so fast. And so that's kind of like a fun thing to do. Um, I just cut it small because my son did choke on a big piece of dried mango once. So just be aware of that. Be aware of the choking hazard. Um, And that might help with one question was on toddler constipation. Ah. Because doesn't the mango, if you have too much, you might could have too much of the fruits sometimes with all the fiber. Yes, yes, yes. Um, And so some people will ask me that question of like, how much fruit is too much? And it's once your kid starts having GI stuff, then you know, (laughs) then you know it's too much. Yeah, yeah. So, but if you are the other way, Mm -hmm. getting stopped up, your solution for them is can be fiber. So constipation is not always diet related, but a lot of times with young kids, it can be. Making sure they're drinking enough is huge. So get that. What's enough? Of of drinking. Mm -hmm. So about a cup per year of age. So it's honestly not a ton, um, but that's kind of like a minimum. For the day. For the day until they're about eight, then it just kind of stays at that eight cup recommendation. But if you think about it, there's a lot of foods that they will get fluids from, um, especially things like yogurt, smoothies, oatmeal. Um, anytime they're drinking like a juice or a milk, that counts. So it's it's not hard, but sometimes there's kids who just don't really drink that much. They're plain. This is fascinating. This has been super helpful. I feel empowered and I'm closer to being a grandma than a mom again. (laughs) So uh, as my – I'll be an amazing grandma who stays in my division of responsibility. (laughs) Um, 
Thank you so much, Casey. We're going to put links so people can keep following you. Y'all are going to want to check out her Instagram videos. And do you have any other resources that we can point them to on the show, but then put in the link? Instagram and my website. There's a ton on my blog that is all free and available to everybody. And I would love to say one more thing that I feel like I didn't (laughs) say it, didn't say is just that every mom and dad, you're always doing a better job than you think you are with their food. We are always our toughest critic. And so like, please give yourself some credit because I know that you work really hard to feed your kids and it's not an easy job. It's definitely easy now that everything is so flippin' expensive. So Mm -hmm. you're doing a great job. The fact that you just listened to this whole podcast on feeding your kids, people, let's do that pat on the back, okay? Totally. All right. Thanks, Casey. So good to connect with you. Maybe I'll see you at the grocery or something. Thank you. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thanks, y'all, for joining me today. I hope that you found this informational. I truly do wish I'd had this when I had younger boys, but it's even helpful as my boys are growing uh, to keep just attuned to their nutrition needs, but not like obsessive. I know maybe it doesn't feel spiritual, but I'll tell you what, food, there are so many biblical examples of food being important. And I'm going to pray for us because I do think that there's a lot to this. So join me. Lord, I thank you that you make, gave us bodies that can be energized by food. And this food is a reminder of our dependency, that we're limited. And I pray, Lord, that you would be with the mom who's feeling stress and anxiety over her child right now, whether there is a severe health need that makes nutrition challenging or just um, her mind is so full of information that she just needs to clear it with you and she needs to come back to you and she needs to find her rest in your presence. And Lord, I pray you would give her some clarity through this conversation. Give her some peace. I pray, Lord, for our kids that they would grow in wisdom and stature and favor with you and with others and that we could be their guides towards that. Give us discernment as we go about our days what we say yes to, what we have to say no to, for us to feel peace when our kids aren't happy with our nose. And um, I thank you for Casey and the work that she's doing. I thank you that there are professionals out there that can guide us and that we don't have to do this alone. All right, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, y'all, join me back here next week. I have David Thomas back on the show. I think it's like his eighth time and he's answering your questions about boys. So join me back here. And definitely always remember, you can get a note from me on Tuesdays if you go to olaheather.com and put in your email address, your name, and we can connect that way. I can share some of my favorite things that week, what I'm thinking about. Uh, Ola Heather, Ola with an H like Heather.com. All right. See you next week. Adios. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources to help remind you that you're not alone, head over to don'tmomalone.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I want you to know the good news, the great news that you're not alone because God has promised to always be with you. With faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and rose again, Jesus said when he left, he was going to leave a helper, a comforter to be with us. God in us. Moms, that's superpower. So while you're washing dishes at your kitchen sink, while you're driving to and from work, 
While you're feeding that baby late into the night, while you're cleaning sticky floors, God promises to be just as present with you as when you're worshiping in a church pew. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's good news. Have a great day.